Father, we want to thank you that you alone can save and that you have saved us. Lord, we thank you that you are the true vine and apart from you, we can do nothing, but with you, we can bear much good fruit. And Lord, as we hear your word this morning, may it teach us, encourage us to be stronger in our faith, to remain in you, and equip us to bear much fruit for you. Good fruit. So, Lord, hear us and accept our prayers. Amen. Okay. Isaiah 5, 1 to 7. The Song of the Vineyard. I will sing for the one, for the one I love, a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Now you dwellers in Jerusalem and people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? Now I will tell you what I am going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge and it will be destroyed and I will break down its wall and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated and briars and thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel and the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. He looked for justice but saw bloodshed, for righteousness but heard cries of distress. This is the word of the Lord. Well, thank you, Mark, for that, and lovely to be here again. Uh, Great to see you all this morning. Uh, But you know the joke, right? What's worse than finding an apple, uh, a worm in your apple? Who knows? Yeah, half a worm. Yeah. I reckon one of the most disappointing experiences that uh, kind of is so deep in my memory or my kind of feeling, you know, that sort of feeling memory you have, uh, is of when you have a beautiful, shiny apple that you're just ready to bite into and it looks so juicy and delicious and you take a bite and what happens? It's just all rotten and sort of fluffy on the insides. Uh, There's a a couple of pictures just to kind of get your... Uh, yeah, that's right. Exactly. Ugh. You can imagine it, right? You can imagine biting into that. Oh, you're expecting the sweet taste of a juicy apple, that refreshing sweetness, and what do you get? Flowery, disgusting, uh, mouldy um, uh, apples <laughs> filled with worms. Such a letdown. I haven't found half a worm yet. Uh, But I think that would probably take the cake for me if I did. Well, the Bible uses this image of fruit to talk about what comes out of us, how we live our life, how we relate to people, how we talk to people, the things that we do. The Bible uses this image of fruit, and it's a really powerful image, right? Uh, These things that just come out of it, this organic... uh, uh, The fruit is an organic and natural product of the, the vine. Uh, it kind of comes out of it, it's, uh, and, uh, and our actions, our words, are the, the kind of organic, natural products 
of our own hearts. Of our own hearts. And that image of fruit, uh, as we sort of picked up, uh, is right on view here in Isaiah chapter 5. It's right on view. And that feeling of experiencing the sweetness of the apple, <laughs> that feeling of expecting that beautiful, tasty, sweet fruit and instead getting the sour disappointment of bad fruits, that feeling that we all kind of can have some sense of is just a pale reflection of the kind of feeling that's on view in Isaiah chapter 5 that we get here, the kind of feeling that we find here. Um, uh, You would have picked up as we read through it at the start of Isaiah chapter 5. And uh, just another kind of reminder, because of COVID, we're not handing out Bibles at the door, but we do uh, really encourage you to remember on Sunday mornings to bring your Bibles along so that you can have them there and reading along uh, and engaging with God's Word with us. But um, Isaiah chapter 5 opens and we're told it's a song. It's uh, a kind of love song. You see that in verse 1. I will sing for the one I love. A song about his vineyard. It's a, it's a love song. It's a masterful poem. This whole chapter, not just the first seven verses, but the whole chapter. And as you read through, uh, though, you find that it's not your standard love song. <laughs> not at all. Uh, the one Isaiah loves is God himself. And his song, well, it's not a song that's all sweetness and light, uh, is it? This, uh, this is the only passage, actually, in our series through Isaiah 1 to 12 this term. This is the only passage that has no rays of sunshine breaking through the clouds at all. It's all full of uh, darkness, and it's, it's more of a lament than a celebration, or a, a lament. It's a kind of love song lament. It's a lament born out of love. Um, It's born out of Isaiah's love for God. It's a song that's full of emotion. Isaiah loves God. Uh, And that means he identifies with God's own heartbreak, God's own loves. Uh, So by verse 3 of chapter 5, you get this picture that it's God himself singing this lament, this deep expression of sadness and even Not just sadness, but even of anger. Uh, The song's a parable, okay? So uh, as Marg read it out, perhaps you picked that up. The song is a parable. Um, Isaiah's loved one uh, plants this vineyard. uh, And he plants it on a fertile hillside, so he's thought carefully about where to put it. uh, And he's done everything for it. He is the perfect gardener. He's lovingly planted and provided for this vineyard. He does everything for it. He tenderly cares for it. And you can imagine, I mean, you know the, the feeling of disappointment when you know, you've bought a bit of fruit from the shops and it's bad. Imagine the disappointment and frustration of this gardener who has not just gone out and bought the fruit, but has over time cared for, tended this vineyard, lovingly poured himself into it, only to find disgusting bad fruit. The vineyard has been spared nothing, but it's given nothing back but rotten fruit. Uh, And uh, God calls the people of Jerusalem and Judah to judge for themselves in verse 3 of Isaiah 5. He says, 
Uh, he, he kind of draws them into the parable. He asks them, he says, what more could I have done for my vineyard than I have already done for it? And, uh, and he, he calls the people of Judah and Jerusalem into this parable. He says, and the, the answer that we're all, respond, we're all expecting is nothing. <laughs> There's nothing more that you could have done for this vineyard than you've already done for it. Uh, it doesn't make any sense at all for this vineyard not to be bearing good fruits. Uh, it's not at all anything that the gardener has done or not done that's caused this problem. Um, this bad fruit. And the upshot of it all is that God says he's going to remove his protection and care from the vineyard. Uh, in verse 5, he's going to take away its hedge. It'll be destroyed and this vineyard will end up looking like a wasteland. Well, so God's called the people of uh, Jerusalem and Judah to, uh, into this story, this parable. He's called them in. Uh, and they might be saying at this point, well, that's an unfortunate tale, but uh, it's just one vineyard. So, you know, what's the big deal? Um, but then in verse 7 of chapter 5, the tables get turned on the, the listeners that Isaiah is first speaking this to, singing this song to. He's brought the people along, listening in, this parable, and here in verse 7, they actually find out that they're a part of it. They're actually a part of it. The vineyard isn't a literal vineyard. Uh, it's a picture. It's a picture for the nation of Israel. Uh, the people of Judah. They are the vines that God delighted in as the perfect gardener. God graciously planted and provided for Israel. He gave them his good word. He rescued them time and time again. And what was the good fruit he looked for? Well, if you have Bibles there, you can see in verse 7, what he looked for was justice and righteousness. Um, later on in the chapter, justice and righteousness are used to describe God's own character. And so God's saying he, looked, he looks among his people for them to reflect himself, for them to be shaped more and more like him, his own character of justice and righteousness. But instead, God sees rotten fruit, he sees bloodshed, he hears cries of distress. So this parable, this love song that's also a lament, <laughs> uh, it's drawing us into the utter, unthinkable tragedy of the sin of God's people. Uh, the imagery is supposed to make us... You know, it, Isaiah could have said this without using all the poetic imagery. Is he do it just because he, he likes poems? I don't think so. There's something much more significant going on. He wants us, as we hear this song, to, to feel what Isaiah, he, what he is feeling, and what God is feeling. It's supposed to make us, to draw us into this reality in a really tangible way. Imagine plucking a grape and popping it into your mouth and chomping down on it only to find your mouth being filled with disgusting, bitter, rotten fruits. Like, imagine it now. Imagine that feeling as we're here. You can imagine it, right? That disgust, that feeling of oh, horror even. Well, that is how God feels about the sin of his people, Israel, as Isaiah speaks this word to them. And all of this is not at all because God has neglected them at all. Now, the only explanation 
is not the failure of the gardener. The only explanation is that the vine itself is corrupt. Now, Israel bears complete responsibility for this situation. Uh, so what, what Isaiah does to the rest of the chapter, we didn't read this out, but home groups, hopefully you had a chance to read through the whole chapter and meditate on it, reflect on it. What Isaiah does is, through the rest of the chapter, it's like he plucks one of these rotten um, clusters of grapes off the vine and he pulls one off at a time and he's showing it to us. He's, going, he's sort of drawing us in and showing us what these grapes are like. Plucking off, uh, describing each rotten grape... He describes the specific bad fruit that's coming out of his people. And as he holds up each grape, Isaiah cries out this word, Woe! He holds it up and says, Woe! It's a cry of, not woe, (laughs) it's a cry of W-O-E. It's a cry of anguish. Uh, It's a cry of lament. It's a cry of judgment. As Isaiah holds this rotten fruit up for us. So we're going to go through it. And these ones, uh, the, the, the references should be on the screen. They weren't read out earlier. Uh, we should have them up there. Uh, the first thing Isaiah highlights as he holds this cluster of rotten grapes up for us is the greed, the oppressive greed of, his, of the people. Uh, verse 8. Woe to you who add house to house and join field to field till no space is left and you live alone in the land. Uh, The whole story of Israel's past is that the land they lived in was a gift from God. They didn't actually own it in the end. They were God's tenants. Uh, But you get the picture here of these people who, in their greed, are buying up fields and houses, the rich ones at least. Uh, And in doing so, uh, they were dispossessing others, especially the poor. They're accumulating possessions and property for their own greed, and God is disgusted by it. He says, Isaiah says, Woe. Well, the next rotten grape down in verse 11, uh, you get this image of a life of thoughtless self indulgence. They're drinking and partying from morning to night. Woe to those who rise early in the morning to run after their drinks and stay up late at night till they're inflamed with wine, going from party to party. And, but then in verse 12, you find out they're doing all this with no regard for the Lord, no regard for God at all. They don't think about God. They're only thinking about their own appetites. Their lives are centred around their own comfort and pleasure. And it gets worse if you jump down to verse 18. Uh, the next rotten grape is a picture, it, it, it's, this, it, it, it's sort of going worse and worse, this picture of active, cynical wickedness. Uh, woe to those who draw, this, uh, this is a, a stunning image, isn't it? Who draw sin along with cords of deceit. People who are drawing sin after them, uh, like a, a horse draws a cart, um, the drawing wickedness as with cart ropes. See, their, this, their sin is not an accident. It's not something that they're sort of innocently falling into. They're pulling it along behind them. And in verse 19, we find out while they're, while they're doing that, they're mocking God. They're scoffing at him. Uh, they're saying, let God hurry. Let him hasten his work so that we may see it. They're taunting God, sort of parading their sin dragging it behind them and daring him to do something about it. Uh, And the whole sort of situation leads to the next 
um, grape, rotten grape, on this rotten cluster of rotten fruit, and it leads to this tragic and you know bizarre situation of deep moral confusion in verse 20. Isaiah says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. The God of righteousness and justice had clearly revealed his character and his will to his people. Uh, But Israel had so departed from his word... Uh, that what was, what was really evil in God's sight, they'd convinced themselves was actually good. And vice versa, what was good and life-giving and pure in God's sight, they'd convinced themselves was actually evil. And what was sweet and life-giving, they saw as bitter and hateful. Uh, well, this confusion, this confusion, again, is not just ignorance on their parts. It's not just an accident. The next rotten grape in verse 21 in this cluster uh, focuses on the sin underneath all their sin. Their proud arrogance. They put themselves in God's place. Woe, Isaiah cries out in verse 21. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes uh, and clever in their own sights. Well, the last woe in this cluster that Isaiah is holding up before us, uh, it comes back to drunkenness. It was obviously an issue for the people in Israel. Uh, God's not against wine. He's pictured here as a winemaker, as the owner of this vineyard. Um, But becoming a hero at drinking wine is to take God's good gift and to abuse it. Uh, not to enjoy it with thanksgiving in moderation, but to recklessly give yourself to drunkenness. And whereas back in verse 12, this led to wild parties, uh, here in verse 23, it leads to the corruption of power. Uh, Drunken officials who take bribes, who deny justice. (laughs) So that's this, this cluster of rotten fruit that Isaiah is holding it before us, waving before our noses <laughs> so that we can get a, a sniff of its rottenness. So how are you feeling after sort of hearing all of those, uh, looking at those, visualising all of those? Because it all sounds pretty familiar, right? <laughs> it all sounds pretty familiar. Um, the human heart has been producing this fruit since Isaiah's time and still does today. And our culture shares a lot of the same idols as Israel did back then, don't we? Of building up our property and possessions without thought for the poor. Of parties, a party culture and binge drinking. Of being so distracted by our own entertainment and pleasures that we, just ha- we leave no time to reflect on God. And what he's done. Uh, The redefining of good and evil. According to our own feelings and thoughts. And not according to God's good design. 
Uh, This proud arrogance, this smug self-reliance, where we're just wise in our own eyes. Well, it seems pretty familiar. Uh, And Isaiah in the 8th century BC says that Israel were all of those things as well. And God's word for them uh, is that their and for us today, is that their sin is no small thing. It is an outrageous thing. It's even a disgusting thing, a rotten thing. That they and we alone are responsible for. And uh, the, the kind of pointy end of this whole passage, uh, and we saw this last week as well, but Isaiah talks about it here again, is that this all leads to the judgment of God. Uh, scattered through the whole chapter, through these woes, are these also the kind of woes are paired with these therefores. Therefores sort of scattered through. So the tragic outworking of Israel's rejection of God would be that God would reject Israel. And that judgment is pictured through this chapter in vivid ways. Um, Verse 13. Therefore my people will go into exile for lack of understanding. Uh, Those of high rank will die of hunger and the common people will be parched with thirst. Listen to this, therefore, in verse 14. Just listen. Therefore, death expands its jaws, opening wide its mouth. Into it will descend their nobles and masses, all their brawlers and revelers. So people will be brought low, everyone humbled, the eyes of the arrogant that were so haughty, the eyes of the arrogant, humbled. And it all comes to a head in verse 25, which I think we do have on the screen there. Uh, Therefore the Lord's anger burns against his people. His hand is raised and he strikes them down. The mountains shake and the dead bodies are like refuse in the streets. I don't like reading that out. You probably don't like hearing it. Uh, It's a shocking scene, right? And it's it's meant to shock us. It's meant to shock us. It's meant to disturb us. It's meant to wake us up to the seriousness and the ugliness of humanity's sin. And Isaiah keeps going in verse 25. He says, Yet for all this, his anger is not turned away. His hand is still upraised. And in the last part of this chapter, what Isaiah does is he pictures God whistling for distant nations. I can't do it. If I could, I would. Um, he He just whistles. (laughs) for the distant nations. And it's this stunning picture of his sovereignty. Uh, They're like sort of dogs he whistles to come and do his bidding. Uh, The foreign nation of Assyria, when Isaiah is speaking this, and later on the nation of Babylon, would come at God's whistle to destroy his vineyard. And this wasn't just another international political event like all others. It was the deliberate judgment of God on Israel and Judah. These nations come roaring like lions to deliver God's judgment on Israel. And in verse 30, uh, it says, In that day, 
They will roar over it, these lions. They'll roar over their prey like the roaring of the sea. And if one looks at the land, there is only darkness and distress. Even the sun will be darkened by clouds. Friends, this chapter is a moving, sobering song that if we open our hearts to it, will grip our hearts and will make us mourn more deeply for the reality of humanity's sin and our own sin. This rotten fruit that comes from fallen and proud hearts. But Isaiah 5 also is a chapter that drives us forward. It drives us forward. This is not the end of the story. Remember back in chapter 1, where Isaiah opened up this whole vision. Back in chapter 1, and we saw God's great plan that spans over all time and all space. A plan involving Jerusalem, involving judgment, but leading to, who can remember it? Transformation. Leading to transformation. Uh, Last week, we looked ahead to the last day. But here in chapter 5, what Isaiah is doing is he's jumping back to Israel's present time. Uh, And he's saying, to this part in God's great plan and he's showing and he's showing us that Judah here God is showing Judah here what the next step is going to be in this plan their vine would be destroyed and it happens but God wasn't done Isaiah 5 drives us forward from Isaiah's time it drives us forward to the one who did come And who did fully and finally turn away the anger of God on sin in his own death at the cross. Through whose blood we are washed white as snow. But not only that, uh, we're going to finish in John 15 uh, that we've already looked at this morning. Uh, And if you have your Bibles there, turn with me to John 15. Jesus reveals to us the most Wonderful reality, friends, brothers and sisters. The vine of Israel. See, the vine of Israel in Isaiah 5, it's like a summary of the desperate state of all humanity. Even with all that God had done for them, their vine was still rotten. What hope is there? What hope is there for any of us? Well, it's not, it, it's not in ourselves. It's not in us trying to fix up our own vine. We need a whole new vine. And Jesus says in John 15, I am the true vine. And my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes And maybe some of us are feeling God's pruning of us today. He prunes so that it will be more fruitful. Verse 4, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine, the true vine, the perfect vine, the vine that gives life and not death. See, Jesus is this true vine, the true Israel, the one who lived in perfect and obedience to and dependence on his father, the great gardener. 
And when we trust him, when we come to him in faith, we are connected to him. We are grafted in to that vine, that vine, so that now at last by his spirit, through his power, his people can bear much good fruit. Much good fruit. Not the rotten fruit of Isaiah 5, but fruit that pleases the gardener, lives that please our God and Father. But friends, only if we remain in him, in that vine, connected to Jesus in this living, organic union with him, by trusting him, by living unto his word, by coming to him in prayer, and when we fail, by not hardening our hearts like Israel did, but going, not going deeper into our pride, but humbly repenting, turning from our sin and to Christ, who is always there and ready to give us his life-giving energy and power and forgiveness that he pours into us. And asking for his help, that by his Spirit, we... You and I would grow in our distaste of this rotten fruit. We can get so used to it that we don't see how rotten it is. We would feel it for the ugly and rotten thing that it actually is. It can't satisfy for all its empty promises, but Jesus can. With Christ, we have the true life-giving vine, the spring of living water, the bread of life, the one who will satisfy you not only now but into eternity, whose life will bear within us his beautiful, sweet fruit of justice and righteousness. Uh, Or as Paul puts it in Galatians 5, Perhaps you know this passage. His wonderful fruit of the spirit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. That's the sweet fruit of this vine. (laughs) Uh, Let's pray that God bears it among us, can we? Our God, we pray that as we meditate on and reflect on your word to us today, that you might humble our hearts to hear and receive uh, the disgusting, bitter, horrible taste of sin and to be turned away from it. Lord, we know that um, we we can't produce good fruit on our own. And we do confess our sin to you now. We bring it before you. We thank you for Jesus, the true vine. Thank you for his life poured into us at the cross and in his resurrection. Thank you for the hope that we have. And we pray that you might bear good fruit among us and among many people as they come to him and find life. In his name we pray. Amen. Please pray with me.
as we come before the Lord. Father, our God, I just want to thank you for the gospel of Christ. The fact that you redeem us through him by your grace and your grace alone. And as we looked um, at this section in Isaiah, we're reminded again that it's that bad fruit. It's that sin in our lives that separates us from you. But there is hope. There is hope in Christ. And just as uh, Israel is brought out of captivity, Father, we are brought out of the captivity of sin into freedom through that, that great grace that you've shown us through the death, burial and resurrection of your son. And Lord, we just want to thank you this morning for the freedom to be able to worship, worship corporately, to be able to come together this morning as a church to this place and give you our praise and our thanks. And it's something that we've looked forward to, something we've not been able to do for a while. So we just want to praise you for that freedom that we have and the freedom that we have just simply to be able to do that in this country. And we're mindful of so many worldwide who don't have that freedom and often pay with their lives as they get together just to proclaim your word and proclaim your gospel. And Lord, with that freedom, we also uh, want to praise you for those who choose to... um, Take up that gospel service full time and ask that you would help those in charge or those in authority at the Bible College of South Australia. Lord, that they would continue to look to you and continue to be faithful to that gospel message of Christ in the way that they train uh, people who seek to serve you in a more full time way. Uh, situation or just simply to learn more of you and be better equipped to share the gospel in their own personal lives. So we commend the Bible College of South Australia to you and ask that you continue to guide and direct uh, the lecturers and those in charge there. We thank you as well for the Trinity Network as a whole uh, and Lord just what you're doing through the churches uh, across South Australia and pray that you will continue to give wisdom, guidance, direction to those who are in charge and, Father, those who make decisions, particularly when it comes to um, just planting new churches. And, Lord, that ultimately we would be driven by that gospel of hope to seek um, to share that gospel with a community around us, knowing there are so many who are headed for a godless eternity. And we pray that you would embolden us as a church, as individuals, as we rub shoulders with those people on a daily basis just to share that gospel of hope, to share it both in word but also in action, that our fruits of our lives would be deemed as good but only because we know Christ as Saviour. So we thank you for these things. Pray that you would continue to bless us as we want to serve you and give you praise and worship as we ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.